So do you all know the difference between a portrait and a snapshot in, the, in terms of photography? And I'm no like, photography expert, uh, but the difference between a portrait and a snapshot. Portraits are more composed. Uh, portraits usually have the person there, they're sitting still, they're posed, their hair and makeup are done. They're looking right at the camera, and the camera person's like, hey, smile, three, two, one, click, portrait is captured. Snapshot, on the other hand, usually they're not planned. They're not composed, you're, just, you're catching the randomness of the moment, and really, the snapshot gives you kind of more of the texture and the feel of what's happening for real. So I went back into the archives, I pulled out just a little bit of an example this is my high school basketball team, 1995, last century. Here's our portrait. Look, at, look, at, we're so tough. We're so posed, composed. But if you hung out with us at all, next picture. That's more like it, right? That's a, that's a better reflection of what we actually were like um, together. Or maybe some footage from Easter 2020. Do you guys remember in COVID, we didn't have an Easter celebration, so we had people in our church um, record, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Remember that? And we put them together and we had a video. Go ahead and play this. Hello from the Joe family. He is risen. Right? Well, look at us. So nice, and again, composed, he is risen, so sweet, so wonderful. But what you don't see is, is what led up to the capturing of our little message. All right, next slide. Okay. All right, you can end the video. I think you guys get the point. Right? So composed, so nice, so put together. That's not really what our family is like. So tonight... Last sermon in the series, last sermon in the book of Colossians. I offer you tonight what we get is a snapshot, not just a portrait. Because tonight we get to this funky little part of the letter that if some of you are honest, it's like a genealogy. That when you come to this part of, of either a genealogy in the Old Testament or these parts in the New Testament, we tend to one, two, skip a few and go right past it. 
Because the book of Colossians is a letter. And like ancient letters, the book of Colossians ends with this final greeting that Paul the Apostle gives. And it includes all these names of all these people. Some of them are hard to pronounce. Some of them we don't know who they are. And we have this collection. And it's really easy to say, ah, the book's done. Let's get on to something and maybe a bit more meaningful. But Today, we're not going to skip the closing of Colossians because I believe that in the ending of Colossians that God has something to say to us. You see, in the final verses, there is so much more going on here than just a few names of some ancient dead people. These closing 12 verses give us a snapshot of a raw, real, kind of behind-the-scenes snapshot of this church community. And it's a community that is centered, as we've been talking about for the last few months, it's centered on the preeminence of Jesus, Christ over all, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And you get this abstract theology of the preeminence of Christ getting worked into real lives and real people and real names and real stories. And so we see in Colossians here, people living, serving, contending, interacting underneath the rule and reign of the preeminent one, Jesus. And I believe that in seeing their story, it gives some fodder and encouragement for us. Let me read this to you, and we'll keep moving through to the end. Colossians 4 Verse 7 says, Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, <laughs> it'd be great if he called Jesus. His real name's Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Snapshots of the life of the family of God. If you've been around church, or maybe you've read the Bible, you've heard these formal descriptions of the church. The church, we're called the people of God, the household of faith, maybe the family of God. We're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The church is the bride of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. All those are true. All those are biblical. All those, those sound very formal. 
And yet when you get down to it, all of these things end up getting expressed with different real people in different real ways, with real community, with real issues getting worked out in real time. Life isn't lived in portrait mode. Life is lived through the snapshots of faith. So here's what I love about this passage. I just want to talk about some of these people, who they are. What do they remind us of? And here's some questions I want us to ask as we read through these names and talk through a few of these stories. Ask these questions. What can I learn from these examples? What about their lives stir me up to follow their lead? Also, Maybe as you hear about these people in their church, you're reminded about people who do the same kind of thing in our church. Who am I reminded of in our community because we read these stories? And then lastly, how can I encourage others who live like this? I I deeply believe that this Colossian church, which wasn't a very big crew, that they were a redemptive, subversive community and they encourage us to follow in their footsteps too. So what can I learn? Who am I reminded of? How can I encourage this kind of stuff even among us? Here's the first one. Tychicus. Verse 7. Paul says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. The beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So to get this letter from prison where Paul was, some speculate it was Ephesus, some say it was Rome. Ephesus was closer, so that may make more sense. Paul didn't just uh, slap a stamp on the letter. He didn't just tweet it or email it. Obviously, he had to have a real human being bring the letter from where he was to them. Tychicus is that person. He is the one who brings, he's one of the couriers of the letter. And as Paul describes this person, he just is effusive in his words, right? This guy's a beloved brother. He is a faithful minister, a fellow deacon, That's the word, diakonos, a fellow servant in the Lord. He's faithful, he's beloved. He's like, I trust him, you trust him too. And he says his job not only was to bring the letter from point A to point B, but his job was to encourage their hearts. And if you get a snapshot of one of the things that is just critical, actually two things here that are critical in a community of faith, service, faithful service, and a willing to encourage. So even as you think about our community, who are the servants among us? Who are those that serve? I could start naming names. Hopefully your mind and imagination begins to be filled tonight. Who are the servants? Who are the encouragers? The word there, it's, it's a, a parakaleo. It's the same kind of word that is used to describe the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside, the one who speaks alongside, the one who pulls up next to you, puts his or her arm around you, and encourages you to keep on going. Who are the voices of encouragement that keep us going, following Jesus? Tychicus was one of those fellow servants, brother, faithful encourager to call them to follow Jesus more. Next person on the list, 
Onesimus. That one should sound a little familiar to our church because we spent six weeks studying the book of Philemon. So, like I said, there are two couriers that carry this letter. One's Tychicus, the other one's Onesimus. Verse 9, Paul introduces us to him as a faithful, beloved brother who is one of you. And we don't get the full backstory in the book of Colossians, but you read the book of Philemon and you understand what's going on here. As they bring the book of Colossians to the Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, they also bring a letter that's addressed to Philemon. And we find out this whole storyline here. Onesimus is an escaped slave. Remember that part of the story. He left the Colossian community, ran away. At some point in time in his story, he came into contact with Paul. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And now Paul sends him back. He sends the runaway slave, the escaped slave, back to his owner, carrying this letter and the letter named Philemon. So now you begin to get into all these messy details. We spent some time, I think six weeks, working through that letter. Here are some of his words from the book of Philemon. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own. For this is perhaps why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but now more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And so Onesimus in this letter reminds us of these themes of forgiveness. It reminds us of these themes of restoration. It reminds us that not everything in our lives and our stories are as pretty as they look in the picture. And there are broken things and broken relationships and hard conversations to have. And there's reconciliation in the family of God. Paul says, receive him as you would receive me. And yes, he is an escaped slave, but Paul doesn't label him that way. He calls him a faithful, beloved brother, returning him to his community, and he says, he's one of you. God intends his church to be a place of grace. Right? God intends his church to be a place of forgiveness. God intends his church to be a place of second chances and third and 70 times seven. Why is it that the church seems like the last place you would want to send someone back to? There's something beautiful happening here. Not judgment or condemnation or labels. He's one of you. 
He's been forgiven. And now I want him to be restored. It makes us wonder, who are the Onesimuses of our community? Who might be the Onesimuses in our community? Where might God be weaving messages and storylines of forgiveness and grace? Are there any people we're running away from? Are there any relationships we need to go back to and make things right? Oh, this is more than just a tack-on end of the letter. Next verse, next snapshot. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, justice. They too are in the story. They too are in the book. In these two verses, Paul gives these groupings of three names. We know from the book of Acts that Aristarchus was a Macedonian. He was from Thessalonica, and he traveled often with Paul. Mark, we recognize his name as the guy on Paul's first missionary journey who got homesick, and he bailed on Paul. And then Jesus, or Justice, we don't know much about him, other than he had a nickname, other than Jesus. But then Paul says these three individuals, they do have one thing in common. And he says that, verse 11, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. So to say that they're men of the circumcision is to say that they are they're Jews. They are a Jewish background. They're followers of Jesus, but in a Gentile world, they're Jewish Why is that important for Paul to make note of? Because from the beginning of the church, ever since the day of Jesus, the church was split along racial lines. And Christianity started out as a movement among Jewish people, but very quickly, the message of Jesus spread, and it broke through different ethnic lines. But you read the letters of the early church, and one of the biggest struggles in their community was how do Jews and Gentiles belong together in the same community of faith? The call was to make disciples of the nations, but the Jewish believers often wanted the non-Jewish people to go through all the rituals and the rites of passage. They had a perspective on the non-Jewish people that they were other, that they were different, that they were less than, that they, the Jews were holy and pure, and that God wanted the dirty, evil, pagan people to become more like them through a very specific way. But Paul points out these three individuals and says, except three, these three, Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, you, you get a, a snapshot of something different. You get three men who have a vision of the kingdom that was not just defined by racial lines. That the kingdom of God was not just about reinforcing their tribe. These three men remind us that life in the family of God is not just about us or people who are like us or agendas of our own, but regardless of our backgrounds, we can be fellow workers and fellow heirs in the kingdom because of Jesus and his grace. Your connection to Jesus is the most important thing about you, not whether you've been circumcised or not. 
Not whether you followed those certain rituals or not. Not whether your body bears the marks of circumcision, but whether, whether or not your heart has been circumcised. So when push comes to shove in our communities, are we committed to the kingdom of heaven? Or the rules and rituals of our tribe? Thank God for the Aristarchuses and the Marks and the Jesus Justices who said, no, your kingdom come and your will be done, not just my tribe. Next name, Epiphras. He's in the story. He's in the book. Who is he? This letter, I named this, I think, at the very beginning of this series. This letter and this church are unique because most letters and most churches in the New Testament were planted by Paul. Paul would go out on a missionary journey. He would preach the gospel. People would come to faith. And then he would gather the community, plant the church, and leave. Paul had never been to this town. Paul had not met most of these people. Paul did not plant this church. Who did? Epiphras. And while the details aren't always nailed down specifically, most assume what happened was is that this man, Epiphras, was out and about in his life, came to faith in Jesus, maybe through Paul, but the, he then is the one who brought the message of Jesus back to the Colossians. He's the one who brought the spark that lit the flame that became this church. Who planted this church? Epiphras did. Colossians 1.7. I think I have a slide for that. Do I? Anyway, Colossians 1.7 says, Just as you learned from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant. Paul recognizes he didn't bring the gospel. He didn't plan the church. This one did. So it's interesting now that this is the one who planted the church. He brought the good news of Jesus. He has left to be back with Paul in prison, and he's sending his greetings back to town. Verse 12, chapter 4, Paul describes this man's heart, that he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So I love this snapshot of this person. He has the passion and the zeal. He's the church planter, right? He's the pioneer. He brings the gospel to them. Thank God for the pioneers in a church. Thanks for those who are willing to bring the good news of Jesus to new places and new people. But also, we hear that not only was he content he wasn't just content to plant the church. He knew he wasn't just called to make converts, but he was called to make disciples. And so he is the one who brought the good news to this community, but he is also struggling in prayer for them that they would be made mature. So even though he's not in the city anymore, he's not with them anymore, he knows his work is not over yet. And so he's praying that that little ember of the flame of the gospel would spread and that their faith would grow and that they would understand the will of God and they would grow up into maturity as a church. Thank God for the pioneering voices that bring the gospel into new places and thanks for those who realize that the work isn't done at conversion and that our lives are then to be grown up into maturity maturity and to be spiritually formed into the image of Jesus. 
We're praying that that would happen. Who are the pioneers? Who are those that bring the gospel? Who are those that are praying for maturity and calling for formation among us? Almost done. Nympha and Archippus. Verse 14 through 18, Paul brings the letter to a close. He sends a few more greetings. He names a few more people who are around him. He names, again, you get a sense that these church communities were close. Colossians, the Laodiceans, they had correspondence, they had connection. We learned that Nympha is the woman who hosts the church in her home. Most likely the church of Laodicea met in her home. Can we just take a second to acknowledge that? The significance and the partnership of men and women in the early church. She was a homeowner. She was wealthy, most likely educated. A significant player in the gospel being spread and the church of Laodicea taking shape. And then in verse 17, Archippus Paul's like, hey, make sure you tell Archippus this. I got a message for him. Hey, Archippus, see that you fulfilled the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And guess what? We don't hear about Archippus in the New Testament anywhere else. But guess what? When Archippus got this letter, he's named. Hey, Paul the Apostle says, see that you fulfill your ministry. And he knew what that was. So you've got these big-name people like Paul in chains. You've got these unknown people like Archippus. You've got these house owners, hosts, and leaders like Nympha. We have no idea what else Archippus did. I don't even know what his ministry was. But it was significant in this community. It was significant for the kingdom. When I was a kid, middle school and high school, I used to love getting our yearbook at the end of the year. You guys remember yearbooks? Yearbooks had your formal portrait, really bad school picture in there. And then it had snapshots of other things that would happen throughout the year. Sports activities, band, choir, drama, school, awkward school dances. Various pictures of the school year. And then at the end of the year, you would sign someone's yearbook. Right? Stay sweet, don't change. Have a great summer. Keep in touch. Whenever I would get my yearbook, it's like admission time, I'd get my yearbook and I would flip to the back and I would look in the index to see how many times I show up in the yearbook. And I would find my picture. Not just my school picture, but my other pictures. Some years I showed up in the yearbook a lot because I did some sports, I did music, I was in leadership. Some years not so much. But at the end of the school year, so many days, so many classes, so many events, so many activities, at the end of the day, I was in the book. That's why I love this little ending to Colossians. 2,000 years later, you flip through the pages. You read the letter, you hear the stories, you see the name, they're in the book. Different parts, different pieces, different players, different participants, different giftings, 
there in the book. And throughout the book of Colossians, we have been talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is Lord over sin, he's Lord over darkness, he's Lord over our old selves, he's Lord over the church, he's Lord over the home, the household code, he is Lord over outsiders, he is Lord over all. And we celebrate that Jesus Christ is king, he is risen, he is exalted, he is to be the preeminent one over all things, and yet this is the place. Place. This is the playground of the preeminence of Jesus in ordinary people. Different names, different stories, different giftings. They're in the book. Marked by the forgiving grace of Jesus. You've got to ask the questions then. You think through our community. If you can go to the next slide after this one. Reality Church, you're in the book. Man, when the story is written of God's move in Thurston County through Reality Church, you're in the book. Who are the faithful servants that we need to name and recognize and say thank you for serving faithfully among us? Who are the encouragers? We need the encouragers. Keep on encouraging us, Reality Church. Who are the reconcilers and the reconciled? Who are breaking down tribes for the sake of the kingdom? Who are the pioneers that need to be cheered on? Who are the planters going in new places? Who are the champions knowing that it doesn't end in conversion and we want to be spiritually formed? Who are the hosts in the home? Who are the significant women? Who are the unnamed? that fulfill your ministry in the Lord. This is where Jesus is preeminent. He is preeminent over all things, but he is preeminent in the playground of the people of God, which is why in some ways it's been fun that this sermon goes into what has happened already in our gathering so far. Different people praying with passion. Different people sharing what's on their heart. Different people bringing their perspectives and moving us forward as a church saying, God, would you be preeminent here? But don't you dare forget you're in the book. You're in the story. You are needed and valued and important for all that God wants to do in and through us. Different backgrounds, different gifts, different callings, different places. May Jesus Christ be preeminent among us. Let's pray. God, thanks for this letter. God, we thank you for the saints of old, 2,000 years ago. Some that we've never really heard about. In the book, part of the story playing out their part, exalting the preeminence of Jesus. So God, I thank you for this crew of Reality Church in this time in this space. You are up to something here. And all the gifts are needed, Lord Jesus. All the perspectives are needed, Lord. We need each other to fulfill our ministries together. So Holy Spirit, would you do that work? And would you stir us up? And would you send us out that Jesus Christ would be known and experienced and preeminent in and through our church? 
May we be known for reconciliation and forgiveness and grace. May we cheer each other on to maturity. May we see new places explored for the sake of the gospel. Homes opened up in the name of Jesus. Walls torn down in the name of Jesus. God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.